Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. We're podcasting a Bible class every Wednesday evening for those who cannot be with us in person as we come together every Wednesday evening at 630 at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ for Wednesday night Bible classes. We know there are people who want to be into God's word. They just cannot be with us in person. And so we're thankful to have the opportunity, the ability, and the means to be able to broadcast, to teach God's word over the medium of the internet and by means of these podcasts. We know that people listen in other parts of the country and literally around the world. So again, we're thankful for the blessing of the internet to be able to teach God's word on such a widespread basis. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, we encourage you to come and check us out in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. Our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street, right here in Omaha. 3606 North 108th Street. You can contact us at 402-498-8397. 402-498-8397. Now, you can also access our website for free, churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. And you can you can uh, take advantage of all kinds of study materials right there on the website. All of our sermons, radio programs, and also, if you will click on the podcast button, you can sign up for our podcasting, and that will allow you to automatically receive to your smart device, whether that's your phone or computer or whatever you choose. And again, always for free, you'll be able to receive our Wednesday night Bible class, our Sunday morning Bible class, all of our sermons, and a Monday through Friday radio program we call Search the Scriptures. <clears throat> But also, a short Bible study every single day we call today's Bible class. It's only about 13 or 14 minutes, but it's every day, seven days a week, keeping you in God's Word. And since faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17, that's important for you, for your relationship with God, for your faith, for your soul. Now, we encourage you always to share these studies with everybody you can through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. You know people who need to grow in their faith. You know people in your life who need to come to God. Help them by getting them into God's Word by sharing these studies with them. We're going to get back into our study in the Gospel account according to John. And as we've said, this is a unique gospel account compared to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're referred to as the synoptic gospels, and they are very parallel in the material that they, that they cover. And there are some variations from one to another, but they're, they're very parallel. John goes in a different direction in his gospel account, and <clears throat> he focuses obviously upon Jesus, but he doesn't cover all of the same details and specifics and locations that are covered in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So when you look at the four gospel accounts put together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get the bigger picture. In fact, you get the biggest picture. So we're in chapter 6, and this is one of the longer chapters in the, in the book of John, and it covers a very important, and maybe we might say even something of a pivotal point in the ministry of Jesus while he was upon this earth. We begin with verse 1, and the account begins this way. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, 
which is the Sea of Tiberias, then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to, he said to Philip, Philip, one of his apostles, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? <clears throat> now, let me stop here and note something going back to verse 2. It says, a great multitude followed Jesus because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. Uh, Jesus, during his public ministry, healed many people. He even raised some from the dead as recorded in the scripture accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But I'm certain he healed a whole lot more people than we have the scripture records for in those four gospel accounts. And he may have raised more from the dead than we have accounts in those four uh, books of God's word in the New Testament. Now, someone might say, well, what do you mean? How do you know? Well, I, again, I, I don't know for sure. I cannot be dogmatic, but I'm pretty sure that based upon what accounts we do have record of in those four Gospels, that undoubtedly he must have done a great deal more than was recorded for us. And John, the apostle, as you come toward the end of his, his, his Gospel account, when you come down to verses 30 and 31 of chapter 20 of John. Uh, he, he writes this, truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Now, by signs, what do we mean? Well, uh, you'll find in some cases, some of the scripture references refer to signs and wonders and miracles. And we probably could consider all of those really as synonyms for one another. And so John says, Truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The Bible is unique in, in the literature form that, uh, it, it, that God guided the writers to write it in. Now, by unique, what I mean is, first, it is absolutely true. There are no doctrinal errors within the Bible. Man starts writing down accounts, he's probably going to make some mistakes here and there. He's probably going to put in some of his own opinions along the way. The Bible is, as Paul describes it, God's very word. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And that means literally from the Greek, it is God-breathed. In other words, God's very word. Now, second, God does not go into the kind of detail that human authors go into typically to describe some event. I'd, I'd love to read. I, I'm always reading. And there are times when I will just I'll read a novel just as kind of a, a mindless entertainment, just to help me relax. And I often do that at night before I go to sleep. I sometimes I get rather frustrated at all of the detail that human writers put into some of their novels, some of their works. 
Well, I do a lot of writing myself at the same time, and, uh, well, I will cover a lot of details myself. That's the way human beings write. And so if we were, think about the gospel accounts. If they were just written down by men on their own, do you think we'd have such a scarcity of information about Jesus in his growing up years? Or even revolving around his birth? Do you think we wouldn't know any more about him than what is brought out basically from the time that he reached about 30 years of age until he died on that cross about three years later? Do you think we wouldn't know anything about the kinds of foods he liked, the kinds of foods he ate, what the house was like where he and, his, where he and, and Mary and his mother and Joseph, his uh, legal father, lived? Do you think we wouldn't hear, we wouldn't read something about the craftsmanship that his father taught him by way of being a carpenter's son? Well, you see, it goes on and on and on. That's the way we write as human beings. But what, is, what does John say here? These are written. Many other signs Jesus did in the presence of his disciples. In other words, the apostles, other followers saw undoubtedly many more signs that he did but they're not written down. And John says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now, God's, God guided the scripture writers to write in a brevity that really presents kind of a purity of literature. He doesn't give us all kinds of extraneous details. He gives us what we need to know in these scriptures that we may believe. When you look at the when you look at the very last verse in the very last chapter of John's gospel account, verse 25 of chapter 21, John again says, there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Well, again, John says Jesus did a whole lot more than what is recorded in these scripture accounts. So we come back to chapter 6 and verse 2 again. A great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. Now, human beings tend to be fickle. I've talked about that many times in teaching and preaching. We will take a position in, in, in one direction and then almost with the change of the wind, a lot of times it seems, we'll switch to, a, to another position, maybe the exact opposite position. <clears throat> I was amazed when I was going through my studies in college a great many years ago, and one of our instructors who was a renowned and very skillful and respected uh, gospel preacher he was also one of our instructors in, in, in our Bible classes. He talked about when a person is on one extreme end of the spectrum. Now, that can be either extremely conservative or extremely liberal. He says it's not much for him to just jump from one end of that extreme position to the other extreme position. So he says, when you look at the whole spectrum of a position, of a person's, you know, belief system or his mindset, his philosophy, if he's 
on the extreme end in either direction, it's not much for him to all of a sudden jump to the opposite extreme end. And I, I thought, well, that sounds, you know, that sounds illogical. I mean, he's, how can you go from one extreme to the other extreme, the exact opposite extreme? But as the years have gone by, and I've, I've observed people, and I've thought about it, and I've read, and everything, I've, I've come to, to believe that, yeah, I think he was right. It's 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 easy. I mean, it's it's not <laughs> it's not something that's unrealistic for a person who is who is holding an extreme position on one end of the spectrum to all of a sudden change his mind and now he's on the other extreme end, the exact opposite extreme end of the spectrum of whatever it is that he's believing in, that he's espousing, whatever it might be. Now, <clears throat> so here's a multitude of people, a great multitude, it says. Why were they following Jesus? Because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. Did Jesus come primarily to perform miracles? and impress people, hey, look at me, I'm a miracle worker? No, that's not what he came for. The miracles were simply, they were simply proof that what he was teaching, and that's what he came to do, teach the gospel, teach God's word, help people understand how to be forgiven and saved through him, by God. Jesus came as our Savior. He did not come primarily as a miracle worker. Now, he performed many miracles. And as I said, I believe John is indicating in the closing verses of chapter 20 and the, and the very last verse of chapter 21 of his gospel account that Jesus did a whole lot of miracles and signs and wonders that are not recorded, excuse me, that are not recorded in Scripture. Well, God guided John, the apostle, as an inspired writer to write what God wanted him to write along the line of which miracles, which signs, which wonders was he going to record in those 21 chapters that God guided him to write down as his gospel account of Jesus, of Jesus his life and his ministry upon this earth. That was enough. God guided John to write just what he wanted him to write, enough to give us proof that Jesus truly is the Savior, the Son of God, our Lord. And the miracles were simply to prove to people that the message that he came to preach and teach to mankind is truly from God. It is the truth of God's word. The miracles were not the main point. They were simply proof texts, if you want to think of it that way. Demonstrations. Jesus, in fact, said, hey, at one point, if you don't believe me, if you don't believe my words, then believe the works that I do. <clears throat> the works prove that what I'm teaching is truly from God. But a whole lot of people, they focus on the miracles they, they get all caught up in miracles. The miracles were not the main point. We might think of them as kind of 
illustrations. But they were not the main point. They were not the main reason why Jesus came to this earth. He came to bring the message, the preached, taught message of the gospel of salvation through him. We ought not need miracles to continue to prove to us that Jesus is the Son of God. The New Testament scriptures have been written. They prove that Jesus is the Son of God. The miracles simply were bestowed, were performed to demonstrate what I'm teaching you is truly from God. This is the message of salvation. But a whole lot of people, again, they get caught up in the miracles. And in that way, to a degree, they're de-emphasizing the Savior. He came, what does it say in, in Matthew 1 and verse 21? To save his people from their sins. He died on that cross to pay the price for the guilt of our sins. Romans 5 and verse 8. God offered him as the perfect sacrifice on that cross to cover our sins. John 3 and verse 16. Hebrews 2 and verse 9. The miracles simply proved that he is the Son of God, the Savior, our Lord. Now, that's been proven. We don't need for it to be proven to us over and over and over again once we believe. Again, when Jesus, the night of his betrayal, and you can look at this in John chapters 15 and 16, he told the apostles, I'm going to leave. And I don't think the apostles even understood then what he was really talking about. He knew the next day he would be on the cross. And he said, when I leave, I'm going to pray to the Father that he'll send another counselor or comforter, the Holy Spirit. But what did Jesus say the Holy Spirit would do? He will glorify me but a whole lot of people get caught up in the Holy Spirit. And they tend, whether they think about it in that way or not, my observation is they tend to glorify the Holy Spirit over Christ. But Jesus said, he, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me. Jesus is the Savior. The miracles are not the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. Now, I'm emphasizing that because that's, that, that's a, a, a hang-up, I think, in the minds of a whole lot of people today who claim they're following Jesus, following, they, they love Jesus. But I think to a great extent, they're caught up in the miracles, the idea of miracles, this great multitude that followed Jesus, what was their motivation that is brought out in verse 2 of John chapter 6 for following Jesus? They followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. In other words, miraculous healings. Now, 
Jesus went up in the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, one of his apostles, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now he was about to perform another miracle. But at the end of this chapter, he is going to teach a great lesson. It's not the miracles that you need to be focused on. It's me as your Savior. So, verse 6, But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. And so whatever they had in their common treasury among all the apostles and Jesus, uh, Philip, one of his apostles, says, yeah, even if we had 200 denarii, we, uh, that wouldn't be enough to buy a little bit of food for all of these people coming. And there were thousands. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, and here's the, the number of the multitude that we're talking about. In number, about 5,000. About 5,000 men had come to hear Jesus, to see him, to follow him at this particular point. 5,000 men, about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed, distributed them to the, the, to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. And so it wasn't that they were breaking off a little minute morsel off of each piece of bread and off of each fish. Jesus gave the food to them after he had given thanks, he gave it to the, to the apostles and said, now pass it out, as much as they want. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. And so there's leftovers, a lot of leftovers. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Well, the multitude, numbering about 5,000 men, they were extremely impressed by the sign that Jesus did. But as we're going to see, they, many of them were more focused upon the miracle than they were upon the Savior. Beginning with verse 15. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum, and, if, and it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near, drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. 
Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at, was at the land where they were going. And so the meals passed. Jesus has gone back up into the mountain, and the, disciples, the apostles, the 12 apostles, got into a boat. They started rowing across the sea toward Capernaum, but a great storm arose. And then, again, miraculously, they see Jesus walking across the surface of the water toward the boat. They're afraid. They may not have actually recognized him at that particular point until he said, it is I, do not be afraid. And then they received him into the boat. And the boat immediately was at the shore. It was at the land where they were going. They made it. Well, again, Jesus is the master of the sea. Well, so then, beginning with verse 22, on the following day, when the people, remember those 500 men who had been fed miraculously the day before? When the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, so you get the idea that after these about 5,000 men had been miraculously fed by Jesus, and Jesus went up, up into the mountain, the apostles left in the boat and went across the sea, and these 5,000 men, they camped out at the base of the mountain where Jesus was. But in the morning, he wasn't there. The apostles weren't there. Jesus wasn't there. And so what do they do? When they found so they got in some other boats, and they rode across to Capernaum. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now, why did they camp out at the base of that mountain where Jesus had gone up into after he had miraculously fed them the day before? Why did they camp out there all night? Well, somebody might say, well, they obviously wanted to be with Jesus again. Well, when we come back next time, we're going to see that the focus of at least a whole lot of them was more on the miracle than on the Savior. And Jesus is going to do what we might say, culling out the crowd, so to speak. He's going to, he's going to kind of call out those who are surface-level followers and they're going to want to make him, <laughs> it, the, the, the text seems to indicate even by force or, or compulsion perhaps, make him their leader, maybe even their king. And the idea is they want to see more miracles. Again, Jesus came to be the Savior, primarily, not the miracle worker. So we'll pick up next time with verse 26, and we'll look further into this chapter. And again, I want you to get the message that Jesus was getting across here, the lesson that this crowd of people, including his apostles, needed to learn. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand that your word 
is the basis for our faith. Romans 10 and verse 17. Faith comes by hearing your word. Help us to focus on your word to grow our faith and to not lose our focus or misplace it by wanting to just see miracles. Help people see that Jesus is the Savior, not the miracles. Help people open their eyes, Father. Help us to get into your word and understand it clearly and apply it properly to our lives as you would have us to and to give you glory through our lives and obedience. Please forgive us, gracious Father, and hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.